Recorded live from the wayofm.org studios in the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York, welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. Both Penny and I want to wish you a very happy new year and welcome you to our first episode of 2020. Wait, 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 isn't this our last episode of 2019? Yes, it's that too. Okay, now you have me flummoxed, and that's a great word, by the way. Yeah, I know. I put it in there just for you, but let's get back to why you're flummoxed. Okay. What day of the week do we usually record on, Penny? Uh, well, that would be today, and today is Sunday. So this episode we're recording is the last of 2019. Oh, wait, and after I edit this episode and release it on January 2nd, 2020, it'll be the first episode of the new year. Oh, I'm so happy you finally got there, And Penny. the last horse crosses the finish line. <laughs> yes, it does. And now that she has that all figured out, I'm very excited to have on this week's episode, Danielle Skidmore. She is joining us by video conference from the best city in Texas, which happens to be Austin. She will be talking about Salt Lake Barbecue, Amy's Ice Cream, not named after me, sadly, and Habanero for, that's a great little Mexican restaurant there in Austin. Are, are, you, are you sure about that? Because this ain't no travel podcast, no matter how much you love to travel. Uh, all right, I'll stop thinking with my stomach, but I want to get back to Danielle. Well, I found her in 2018 when she was running for city council in Austin. She didn't win, but she used her increased visibility to fight for LGBTQ protections in a deeply red state and beyond. So she's here to talk openly and candidly about her life? Well, and her love of travel like me. <sighs> so we're going to share some travel tips. Okay, I'm only 80% certain that you're joking here. But I'm 100% certain we're going to have an entertaining and enlightening conversation with Danielle Skidmore right after the time-honored tradition of the music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad, it just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. 
Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. This week's guest is Danielle Skidmore, joining us from Austin, Texas. Danielle is an accomplished transportation engineer who runs her own engineering firm, ran a competitive campaign for Austin City Council in 2018, and shares the real-life joys and struggles of being transgender on her social media, and most importantly, is an amazing parent. But for me, the coolest thing about you is that you were cartooned. Cartoonist Sage Coffee of the Nib website featured you in a cartoon while you were running for city council. So my first question is, did you like the way you were drawn? <laughs> I love the way I was drawn. You know, I guess I need to chalk that up as one of the more surreal experiences of the campaign. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, of course I did. Yeah. It, was, it was. It was wonderful. I, yeah, it, it was. It was. Good, it was. Right? I remember seeing that before I knew you. I, I actually saw this cartoon way back in the day, uh, the uh -huh. whole all the way in 2018, back in 2018. But right. I, I, I really liked it, and I was like, you know, I was looking at you, and I was thinking, you were, you were, you came off better than Everett Maroon, especially for that turnaround shot. But yeah, it was really cool. Did you, did you ever get a copy of it? Is it up on your wall someplace, or is it just something uh -oh. that happened to you? I just have it electronically. I hadn't even thought about trying to get a, a copy of it, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'd saved in the digital archives of, of the campaign, I guess. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool to see it. It's really cool to finally talk to you. Well, I'm happy for the invitation. I look forward to talking with you. Yeah, what do you see moving forward here as we go into this important election year? Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, we have a fight for our democracy, basically that is, uh, Certainly, it has there are lots of reasons why for the LGBTQIA community of uh, this election is uh, you know a, a kind of our fight for our lives and our legitimacy. But you know, sadly, that's true for uh, vast swaths of America. Anybody that's considered other, uh, we are fighting for uh, you know for representation and for our voices. And uh, so I think, like in 2020, what I see is our first task is to get everybody engaged in thinking about what does it what do we want our country to look like and uh, and then do something intentionally to help make our country look more like that that's a great answer and you tried very hard in 2018 to do that. Um, how did you decide to run for, for city council? And how long had you been, uh, how long, how, how soon after you transitioned did this happen? Yeah, so I have, uh, I came out, well, you know, the question of transition, it's like I'd been in transition for, <laughs> I guess, 40 some years in some way or another. But uh, the short answer to it is in 2016 is when I changed my name and gender marker legally. Uh, so that was the summer of 2016. And, uh, you know, that, of course, like for so many of us, that whole process of coming out and deciding whether like transition, sort of full transition is the right path for ourselves, uh, took a long, long time. But uh, for me, once I came to the conclusion that it was the path for you know, that I needed to follow, uh, then it became pretty, uh, it, well, it became an engineering puzzle is what I used to tell people. And it was just like working through the logistics of how do I reconcile who I am with the rest of my life. So that all happened, kind of culminated in 2016, sort of changing my name and gender marker legally and, you know, sort of switching everything in my 
professional sense. Uh, and But that was also happening with uh, in the backdrop of kind of this sort of brewing of fight against the trans community that was centered, you know, around bathrooms in uh, yeah. first in North Carolina and then in Texas. So uh, I, uh, shortly after I came out, I, you know, I'm watching this happen literally in my backyard, living in Austin, looking at, uh, you know, what our uh, Lieutenant Governor in particular was trying to emulate uh, what had happened in North Carolina and, and realized that well, hell, I'm already out, <laughs> you know, everybody knows I'm trans, like, and uh, it's, uh, so if my voice is useful, you know, I, I, I tell people that if my voice is <laughs> as deep as it still is, can help this discussion, then uh, I'm happy to do it. So that's how I started to get involved. It was, I mean, honestly, it was just anger that we were being attacked like that. And uh, so that was through 2017. And I guess in late 2017 i started thinking about how i might be engaged politically and that's when i started thinking about austin city council that's great job didn't the human rights campaign actually contact you to to like lead something in texas about the anti the, the transgender bathroom bill or is that something that i i misheard no i mean i uh when when the battle was brewing basically there were folks who've been fighting this fight for a long time i mean in some ways you know, I'm uh, just one of people who for decades, quite honestly, have been fighting for our equality. So uh, I got uh, sort of connected to HRC and some friends at HRC, uh, you know, asked if I wanted to, to help some more. And uh, it might have been through them originally that I uh, got connected with some editorial boards and then uh, started uh, you know, they were looking for people who wanted to share their stories, and I was comfortable in doing that. So uh, they and others, I mean, the coalition in Texas is HRC, uh, ACLU, the Transgender Education Network of Texas, of uh, Equality Texas. Oh, and, and like, gosh, a dozen other organizations were all sort of collaborating uh, to, uh, to fight this. So uh, I feel like I was one of this amazing sort of transgender army or trans mafia. Sometimes we get called this transgender mafia. So yeah, well, sometimes they call me Steelers mafia. So I, I'm really not a big fan of the phrase. So you um, you did that, and you decided to to run. What was the reaction uh, in in deep st red state Texas to a transgender woman running for city council? How much resistance did you get? Oh, uh, in Austin, Texas, oh, very very little. Uh, you know, that's, uh, it, Austin is a, uh, I, you know, it's a special place. It's, uh, I tell people it's special, but not unique. We still have <laughs> lots of problems that other places do too, which is why I ran. But, uh, you know, my decision to run for city council, I was most excited about being the first transportation engineer ever elected <laughs> to city council. You know? That was great. Well, and I, I mean, love that. And having been to Austin in a few times over the last 20 years, it, the traffic there keeps getting worse and worse. So, uh, you know, talking about the election, Danielle, you also post a lot on your social media about some run-ins you had with conservative activists. So, you know, and it seemed, must have been frustrating, but at the same time, very enlightening. Is there anything that stands out from that part yeah. of the election? Well, you know, it's like... Uh, 
the whole experience of running for office was very, very new to me and running, you know, me being trans was of interest to a lot of people. So I guess, you know, in summer of 2018, I was walking down the street with my son. We were going to the post office to see if anybody donated to my campaign. And we, uh, somebody named Stephen Crowder was on the street doing, uh, taping a radio show, it turns out, a podcast, as it were. Uh, and I honestly didn't really connect who he was, but he had a sign that said, there are only two genders, change my mind. And he was asking for people to sit down and chat with him. So... Uh, I decided that if he was still there when I walked back down the street on my return from the post office, I would, uh, you know, I would chat with him. So that's what I did. Uh, in fact, on the video of it, my son sitting in the background in his sort of wheelchair. Uh, and I, unbeknownst to me, he's a very well-subscribed conservative sort of uh, YouTube personality. And uh, I think it's been watched north of 7 million times <laughs> so far. So it, uh, I, I sort of stepped right into that space unwittingly, and uh, it was educational. Can I ask you, are you transgender? I am, actually. Okay. Um, that, I'm sweaty this morning. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's I was, funny. I literally, I was walking down the street, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a sign, right, to have right. this conversation. So, um, what, what do you believe is, is, is wrong, I guess, about my state? You said there's two genders? Yeah. I think uh, I've come to realize, so I'm trans, right? Yeah. And uh, that uh, why, why we are the way we are, like what makes our core humanity, right, mm -hmm. is beautifully complicated. So like my son, my son's got a genetic disorder, right? He's missing an enzyme that lets him metabolize two amino acids, right? Mm -hmm. Why that is, we have no idea. Like it was a, a biological variation, it's sure, true, right? It doesn't diminish his humanity, right? But it is fundamentally different. Now, like why I'm trans? To be honest with you, I don't know, right? Now it took me 37 years to stop fighting what I knew to be true from the earliest age of my child mm -hmm. to work my way through the social stigma of my reality, which was that. I know I'm different. I don't understand why I am. I don't know why I would, you know, go and hide in the bathroom and wear my sister's clothes, right? Like right. when I was seven, right? Like, yet it all got wrapped into the expectations of society. Did you change anybody's mind now? Yeah, like probably thousands. Wow. So that's what I wasn't prepared for as I, I knew right away after it happened, I like I sent a Facebook message. I said, hey, I talked to this guy named Stephen Crowder. And I had about 25 or 30 of my friends started texting me and messaging going, are you OK? <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, do you know what you would do? Do you know what you did? And I said, yeah, I talked to him for half an hour. And they said, oh, my shit. What? <laughs> I said, is this a problem? And they're like, uh, well, We'll see. And uh, so, you know, there are, I think there were 75,000 comments last time I looked. Wow. And there are literally thousands and thousands of people who think I'm like the spawn of the devil and who are misgendering me and who have said all sorts of like, you know, just a lot of vitriol. Uh, and then there are thousands of people. It's really fun to watch the comment threads when they start arguing amongst themselves. And, uh, 
there are lots and lots of people who said who were like, "Oh my gosh, I never really thought about it that way." And uh, I, you know, I did. I I was never going to change Stephen's mind because that's not part of how his program works. But uh, looking back on it, I realized I've changed a lot of people's minds. That's uh, amazing. I get, yeah, I get letters. I've gotten letters from all over the world, like actual written letters. Wow. And and then. Uh, you know, Facebook messages and things from people who, uh, you know, a lot of his viewership probably would self-identify as conservative. So uh, it really was, a, it was a, I look at it as a, a good experience. Uh, I'm glad I didn't know uh, how awful he has treated other trans people. I think had I known, I wouldn't have been able to be so civil with him. Yeah, I, that's amazing. Yeah, and the uh, the one that I just saw, you sent a link to a uh, a piece that you did on uh, the Fox station down there. It was you and uh, the newsreader, and then some guy who some guy. I, some I don't guy. know. I don't know who that guy was, but it was amazing because he had three things that he said, and they asked him a question, and he said his three things. It had nothing to do with the question that he was asked, and then you responded, and then he said the same. He's like he said the same thing over and over. And, they could have just cut the first piece and pasted it over the second one, and the same amount of information would have been transferred. How did how did you sit there and listen to this guy talk about you know the military? By the way, in case you haven't seen it out there, uh, the issue was the was the military ban. The ban, right? Yeah. You came out with some cogent points about things, and then he just came over and talking about social experiments in the military. And I'm like, <laughs> what what the hell are you talking about? And yet, yeah. and yet, these people are popular. They're they're being followed, and it just it just feels daunting when you see that sort of ignorance and that sort of uh, lies and mistruths being spoken in public and repeated in public until people continue to start to see them as normal. And you're trying yeah. to fight that, and it's it's got to be exhausting. Well, you know, it, it sure. I like it's really it pisses me off that we have to fight. But if we have to, I'm also really proud that I, uh, I get to fight alongside so many amazing people. So I'm on the I'm on the board of Equality Texas, uh, which is here our kind of our state's largest uh, organization, you know, dedicated for full lived and legal equality for LGBTQIA Texans. So on the because I was on the board, somebody had reached out to Equality Texas last minute and said, "Hey, can you go and?" do this sort of point counterpoint about the military ban. And, uh, you know, I, I've never served in the military, but uh, I was available to do it quickly. In fact, I've got a good friend, her name's Jamie, and she's uh, in the military, in the Air Force, and she needed to be there, uh, you know, as a out and proud trans woman serving in the military to talk about how ridiculous it is, but she couldn't because Hell, she was in in, in D.C. like doing her job, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but when I walked in to do that interview, I didn't know who I was going to be sort of or debating. And I debated the gentleman's name is Jonathan Science, and he's been the architect. He was one of the architects of the entire assault on trans people here in Texas with the bathroom bill. Uh, he leads up leads an organization called Texas Values that. Uh, is uh, basically it is their mission to attack our community. And uh, when I walked in and Sala was him, you know, he went to introduce himself to me and I'm like, I know who you are. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, 
kind of just regurgitating the same points that they always do, uh, because there is no cogent arg argument for this basically trying to legislate the bigotry. There isn't. Uh, so they just default back to uh, the same messaging points that serve uh, their political ends. Now, for, so for some of our listeners, what are those talking points that you hear all the time, you know, through your advocacy work and when you're on the campaign trail? What, what, are, those, what are those three or four different points? I'm sure Penny and I have already heard them, but from your viewpoint, yeah. what are you? Yeah, hearing? from my perspective, well, when we look at the fight about bathrooms in Texas, that you know, it, it was the argument made by those that would seek to discriminate against us is that this is about uh, protecting you know women and girls in that in the most vulnerable spaces. I mean, that's basically this is about. Uh, protecting women from men and and you know that's how they would try to sell it and it's you know had has been effective in the past but when we deconstruct that argument and recognize that it's never really about bathrooms it's about ostracizing an entire community and quite frankly ostracizing transgender children uh, it you know it's an attack on them because well, it goes against, uh, you know, a religious belief that is deeply, deeply flawed. So, I mean, that you've asked about what are their talking points. It's really about that. And then it comes back to everything about what the natural order of the universe is supposed to be. Well, and even the, we don't fit that. No, we don't. And, and I think the worst thing for a conservative Christian, especially somebody along the lines of what you're talking about in Texas, was it Jonathan Science? Science, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, like Vice Vice President Pence is the worst thing for them is a well-functioning transgender person in society, and and the bathroom bill and in going to the bathroom, especially with transgender children. You know, we had a guest on our podcast a couple months ago who has a transgender son in high school. My girlfriend has a transgender son in high school, and that's the biggest issue. Is the two biggest issues are. Where where is their child going to go to the bathroom and gym class? And that's those are the big issues. And, you know, Ralph, when he was on that one time, said, you know, you know, I'm always afraid my kid's going to get the crap beat out of him because he's transgender. And so, you know, th that's sad that we have as parents, they have to worry that much about where their kid goes to the bathroom just at school. Yeah, I, I think the whole debate is so much deeper than about, you know, about bathrooms. It's really a debate about what does it mean to be human? Yeah. And yeah. how do we accept people who don't look like us and who uh, challenge, you know, challenge things we thought we always knew? I mean, this is, this is what we're watching play out and why there, as much as, uh, the other side would like us to, to believe that it's not about, you know, about uh, religious persecution. It's very much about a small segment of society that is basically deeply uncomfortable with their worldview being challenged. And uh, when you look at young people, uh, you know, it, it, when they're in open accepting communities, children and adolescents, they have no problem, you know, expressing themselves. 
they like having friends that are trans. It's like, it's just part of, you know, being a person. And if, if you think that that is bad, you know, at its core, uh, then it is terrifying to watch. And so they're basically, this is a driven by fear and, st and the fear is being stoked by people who use it to stay in power. Well, yeah, and last week in our show, we talked about Deuteronomy 22.5, and so many people just take these English translations of the Bible at face value and don't understand any historical context, don't understand any of the original Hebrew. So once you start deconstructing these these beliefs, then then things get more challenging for them when they try to defend them, but that we could do episodes on that. So let's not yeah. go down that rabbit hole. But I mean, no. but I, I think you and I and Penny would all agree. I think the number one way to combat transphobia is by actually interacting with some of our critics and some of the people who don't like us on a face-to-face -face basis and show our humanity as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when I think about what, what does my activism look like? My activism is really simple. It's like, I'm basically living my life. I'm doing everything I did before, you know, trying to, you know, run a business and take care of my family and accept that I'm, I'm unapologetic about who I am and being visible. And, uh, you know, I wish this weren't the case, but in 2019, uh, almost 2020 here, it's still seen being visibly trans is still seen as a revolutionary act. And uh, I, I think that to the extent that it's safe to be for each of us to be visible and to live our lives and to give people a chance to uh, interact and understand us better, we move the whole question of our rights forward. Yeah. I often say that, you know, the, the, the both sides thing and like the, the middle ground stuff is, is such bullshit. And, you know, it's like when the, when the conversation is I deserve to exist and the response is no, you're not, there is no middle ground there. There's nothing that there's no way to, well, it's like, okay, you've got my head six feet underwater. I'm going to keep your head three feet underwater because we met halfway. It doesn't make sense. And it's, it's just completely disingenuous and having to be able to, to, and what pisses me off the most is that we really can't be pissed off about it. We have to be calm and we have to be rational and we have to, you know, call out things so we can see it in a way that does not quote hysterical because then, uh, then we get dismissed. Whereas, uh, whereas the people on the other side can be as hysterical as they want. And it's just unfair. I'm sorry. I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there know, was, I, uh, Nothing in my life got easier in coming out, but yeah. everything's better. So, That's a great way of putting it. Yep. Let, let me ask a question. So as we move, I think we've seen the bathroom battles begin to wind down. We're through your activism and through everything that you know what's going on, you know, in Texas and somewhat you could say Texas kind of will mirror what's going on in other parts of the country. What do you see in 2020? What's going to be the big battle around transgender issues? Well, I think that the, the battle is the same. The battle is a small group of people think or do not believe we have a right to function in society, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they don't want us to be to, to have the tools to do that. Uh, and the if you if you believe that, right, if you hold the, that, that sense, then the 
they're going to continue to attack children. And that's basically what's happening is I think we're going to see the it's already happening in some places where uh, folks are looking at trying to uh, challenge parents, affirming parents of trans children uh, for, quote unquote, abusing them by uh, by seeing their children. Right. And uh, and realizing there are people who think that we are just mentally ill. And so I, I think I, as, and it's tragic, but I think we will see attacks uh, against parents who uh, are affirming and who are supporting their children. We'll see people trying to attack essentially the medical community that is supporting trans children and, uh, and you know, under the guise that this is child abuse basically. And that's what, that, I mean, that is just disgusting and, and tragic, but I think that's, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see it continue to focus on, uh, quite honestly, the most vulnerable folks, which are kids. Yeah, we're also already seeing that in Texas with the case of Luna Younger, yeah. where her father essentially doxed her and her mother. Uh, yeah. Is that going to be the template for what, do you think that's going to be the template for the way the, uh, the right attacks this now they're going to be using children uh, for political for political points. Uh, I think that's where their their animus has been directed. Has been you know once the, so many of the bathroom arguments got sort of uh, shut down, right? You know when you have police chiefs from all over the state saying, "Look, there is no epidemic of men dressing as women to go into bathrooms," uh, then you you know the focus narrowed to uh, to looking at these questions of essentially trans kids. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I mean, you hear folks talking about wanting to sponsor and all sorts of crazy legislation that would, you know, persecute doctors for providing trans-related care for children. Uh, and, you know, that's terrifying because now you have the state essentially intervening in uh, you know, really private medical decisions, uh, family medical decisions. And, uh, I, you know, that's, that's what I'm afraid we're going to have. And then the other piece of the puzzle, and we dealt with this in the 2019 session, was uh, essentially religious refusals bills, which would be legislation that basically would protect your right to religious expression. Essentially, you know, I have a God-given right to discriminate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's Ugh. that's the that'll be the current vehicle. The good news is they're really they're desperate, and these are these desperate attempts. I think most people are seeing them for what they are, but it doesn't mean they're going to stop. Yeah, they're now, not very good. No, they're not very good. And I think one of the things we're finding out though with social media, I think, is you know when you see a headline about you know transgender children participating in sports, especially transgender females participating right. in sports against girls. And then you see, you know, mm -hmm. information regarding medical treatments for children. Um, the hormone, the hormone, not, hor not hormones, excuse me, puberty blocker, puberty blockers. puberty blockers, which are very commonly used. These are very, these are arguments that you can explain very quickly. But when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and Joe average person who doesn't know anything about transgender issues or transgender science sees that that passes a sniff test of like, 
yeah, that that seems about right. So they're going to give that a quick like. That's going to go into the back of their into their head someplace, and then that's I think the true test is like how do you overcome that bias in social media when people are only reading the headlines as they scroll past them at a million miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that yeah, that's that's a legitimate question. And the other thing that bothers me about all of this is how much of the way. Uh, cisgender people view us is through sexuality. It's the assumption that I get all the time from so many people is that I'm doing this for sex. Or, or I'm, I, I actually had a gay man uh, come up, we were having a conversation. I was first off, I was just stunned at uh, how much he did not know about transgender. And at one point he said, you're very masculine. Have you ever thought about just being a gay man? You'll have a lot more sex. And it's not about sex. It's about being a human being. Sex is about sex. And, you know, and I'm much more interested in dating than I am in like just going out and having sex. And that's, I'm finding that to be incredibly difficult these days. I, I, and uh, you, you too, right? Yeah. I, uh, that, was, that, was, that was the most awkward segue in the world. So Yeah, I mean, well, what you touch on is like, this is what I, I this is my, you know, okay, I'm an expert in all things trans related. Right, <laughs> start that clear. And for one person on a good yeah, day. Yeah. Right? And uh, so we all have our, you know, we are all individual humans and we all like kind of uh, navigate our lives the best we can. So, I mean, I, I call back to that disclaimer really frequently. Like, uh, I, you know, I have my trans experience and I'm through, you know, I've been fortunate to get to know at this point probably hundreds, thousands of other trans people, you know, and uh, it is, there are certain themes that kind of occur over and over again. But what I, you know, what I remind myself and what I would want to remind everybody is that like the concept of gender, you know, is something that if you're not trans yourself, I would submit that you probably have never really thought about it. You've never taken the time to dis deconstruct what it means to have a gender identity. If it all lined up cleanly with the rest of your sort of physical self, you know, if if you're, uh, you know, uh, your if your anatomy at birth was female, you know, was described as female, and your gender identity was female, and you've just lived your life, you just assume that they are one and the same. So for everybody that's never had to, had to think about it, I have an awful lot of compassion, honestly. And this is true even within the LGBTQIA community is that you know, all of the rest, all of the other letters basically have probably not really thought about gender. So you know, I laugh when you described your interactions with the gay man. I mean, let's be real, I'm a 47 year old transgender lesbian. I have less in common with gay men than just about anybody. <laughs> True story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, right? right. So, so uh, it is about giving people a chance to think about something they've never thought about before. And uh, so that's, I mean, I think that's the puzzle we live in. And I, I've had, I don't know, dozens of conversations with gay men that are just like that. You know, they're like, so 
you know, <laughs> what's what's the rating of this show? We well, you <laughs> anything see, you want it to be. Right now. I mean, so like it's kind of like this. I mean, the number of times I've had like gay men who are be like, so uh, you're not interested in the penis, and I was like, no, and they're like, not even your own, and I'm like, definitely not my own. You oh my know? god! And it's like they just look at me like I'm an alien, you yeah. know, and and I, I laugh because I realize. Yeah, they've never thought about it. It's not, so they have to, it's an act of faith in a way, you know, to, to listen to somebody that says, I, I, my gender is real and intrinsic. It's part of who I am from birth. And uh, it, and in my, you know, in my case, it didn't line up as cleanly with the rest of me. Uh, this is how, what I'm navigating in the world. And for so many people who've never thought about it, uh, it is, uh, it's a brand new concept and it's, it's fascinating to a lot of people, which is good. It's terrifying to some others. You know, those are the ones we need to work harder on. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you, you know, 47 year old and going back to what Penny said, if you were, if we were doing this for sex, this is, this is the totally wrong maneuver. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this is just <laughs> off the wall crazy. You know, and I was talking with my ex-wife you know, when I started coming out and she thought I was doing it for sex. And I said, let me explain something to you. I consider myself a transgender lesbian, 47 like you are. And so my dating pool is like, you know, you know, if you took a transgender dating pool and had a, you know, maybe a pool like this, you know, I'm kind of, you know, big, maybe a, you know, small backyard in-ground pool and then now if you take it for transgender lesbians now you just basically have that little kiddie pool that you put the hose into and you you know that's how shallow and small (laughs) the transgender lesbian dating pool is and so this this is not something sexual this is something that's truly inside of us and i think you have been very public in your post saying how hard it is for you to date when you're getting stood up, when you're having people just ghost you all, you know, just for being who you are and being honest with them. And it's not like, and my ex is like recently, she's like, well, do you guys hide it when you're on these online? I'm like, no, this is what we lead with. Cause we're, we're not trying to surprise anybody. We, we don't want to yeah. play a game of gotcha. And so how do you, how do you navigate that when you're yeah. just, when you're just trying to be out there and make a human connection like everybody else? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that navigating like dating while trans, I mean, well, I'm going to say this first is that each of us is different. And I have, uh, you know, a bunch of trans friends who are stealth, right? Who've transitioned and have kind of, in some ways, you know, they know they're trans, but it's not part of their daily life. And uh, they kind of now have sort of cisgender passing privilege. And I look at them and, and I have zero judgment for them. It's like, hey, more power to you if that, you know, I understand why you would do that. Uh, I know for me, it was never possible for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I, 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 my family reasons, my digital fingerprint uh, is sort of pretty deep on the internet at this point. Like it, uh, I, it was never gonna be able to sort of hide my transness. And it also is not what, I don't want to go back into another closet, basically. Uh, at least, and that's what it would feel like for me. I'm not saying that it is that for other people, but uh, having it be part of who I am and sharing that is, uh, you know, is essential. Now, I I don't know. I've struggled myself. Like, do I lead with it? 
you know, is it, is it, do I put it in like when it, the description, does it say woman or does it say transgender woman? Do I, you know, do I put it in the paragraph? Do I lead with it when I first message somebody? I mean, those are all legitimate questions for each of us as we try to date. Uh, because here's the truth. If I do not list that I'm trans in my profile and I don't describe in my, you know, in the write-up that I'm trans, I will match with 10 times more people. Right. You know, and if I just were interested in boys, it would be like a hundred times more people. Um, So so that's an interesting test, right? Uh, But like disclosure for me is absolutely essential. And, uh, you know, but the baggage that comes with that for people who are trans is that when you disclose, we often get to watch people's reactions in real time to how they treat us because of who we are, you know? And I, and I would like, at least from, from my perspective to try and disabuse you of that notion that in somehow it's easier for those of us who are attracted to men, because I have found that they fall into two categories, the ones that are really interested in me until they find out that I'm transgender and then they bail. And then the other ones are the ones who are only interested in me because I'm transgender. The last two dates that I have been on with men, uh, both have two drinks into the date, uh, first asked and then demanded that they they suck my cock. And it's like, really? That's, <laughs> it's, it's like my, the, I don't think boys. Yeah, well, and I'm like, the, my, my penis is the least interesting part of me. And yet that seems to be what everyone is interested in. And it's just frustrating that you can't. And I was on Christmas Day. I actually uh, I was on Bumble. I had two uh, men that were that I was messaging and they're both very interested in me until for some reason uh, they didn't read my profile and they both like disappeared as soon as they're like, what what do you mean you're transgender? And I explain it to them and they're like, oh, and they're gone. Yeah, it's 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 just frustrating. It's all get out when that happens. So I don't know uh, where it is. It's and I, if if I was just interested in sex with men, it's I I could get laid all the time. It's just that I would, I would just be a fetish to them, and that would be it. I, I mean, I wrote a uh, the last show that I wrote about myself is called Schmilf Life because I realized that I was kind of like this nexus of <laughs> fetishes with a lot of guys. Uh, that would that would lead with you know I wanna I wanna make it with a shemale, which yeah. it's like I, that's not what I am. And besides, I'm a lot older than you. And they're like, yeah, I'm also interested in milfs, so uh, I'm a schmilf. And that's that's kind of like the leaping off point for that. And, but it's just really hard to try and find an authentic relationship when only and when you're just an itch for people to scratch. And so that's that's my response to that. <laughs> So it's, and then there's Amy over here who's got a girlfriend uh, and is having a great life and I don't hate her one little bit. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. So (laughs) let's, let's get back to you as um, what I want, the question that I wanted to ask is circling back to the campaign. Did did you run on a platform that was other than uh, the bathroom bill? How did you approach? Oh my gosh, no, that's actually good to get to that. Yeah. Uh, My campaign for Austin city council had, like the social issues that we, I talk about that I spent so much time fighting at our capital for were not at all part of the campaign. 
Uh, I mean, I was running in a nonpartisan council race. Literally, the, the issues were about land use and transportation. And what does it mean to be sustainable in Austin? Uh, you know, it's it, Austin, like the district I was seeking to represent, which is in central Austin, the electorate is very, very progressive. I mean, like the irony is I was seen as like the conservative candidate. I was, seen, <laughs> I was the, I mean... Seriously, I had people accuse me of being a plant of the Chamber of Commerce, right? Wow. And, uh, and I was like, you know, the Austin Chamber of Commerce, a bunch of <laughs> you know, <laughs> old white men got together and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find a transgender woman and have her run for city council. I mean, wow. I, I used to just make me, make me laugh. So I didn't, it wasn't, the, the issues I debated with my opponents were not about that, uh, and my opponents were all, uh, you know, very much very respectful of of me. Uh, the it, it was of interest in the campaign, you know, because you know it, it was somewhat. We still have not. We've yet to elect a transgender person in Texas. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, a good friend of mine was uh, the mayor of New Hope, Texas, when uh, she came out, uh, and. Uh, but you know, when she ran for re-election, she was not re-elected, and uh, so we have. You know, it was interesting to people for this question of representation, but it wasn't. It wasn't a campaign. It wasn't a campaign theme locally, right. and that was awesome. I mean, what what happened in the campaign that, uh, which is why I'm so uh, uh, just so grateful that I had the experience, is that you know I knocked thousands of doors all over the district, and literally talk to thousands of people personally and I would knock on doors of people who you know there might have been a, a pride flag in front of their window uh, you know a couple of times I knocked on doors you know I knew I knew the demographics of who I was door you know I knew their name and age and you know I was like oh okay uh, probably middle-aged lesbian quite honestly you know here in Austin and you know, they're, they're reading my lit and, you know, come across the line that, that mentions that I'm trans and to see somebody just to see the corners of their lips smile and look at me and say, you're trans too. And, uh, you know, it's just to see one of our sisters, basically, just uh, the kind of the smile on their face to think about the representation of that made you know, all of those days knocking doors, in spite of losing, it made it worthwhile, uh, was that I met so many people who the fact that I was running uh, was, uh, you know, really important to them. So I think that that's where that's where it was an issue was about representation. Yeah. Uh, my my oldest son lives in Manassas in the district right next to Danica Rome. And so, uh -huh. uh, uh, you know, I actually met her in a coffee shop just by chance. And I was talking to her. And the fact that, you know, what got her elected was same thing. Not that it was like she was like, we need to fix the roads. We need to fix the roads. We need to fix the roads. And she was the only one that was talking about that. And that's what got her elected. And I, and I love that model. Of just we're just people who are doing things. And trying to trying to trying to help uh, people as well. It's it's crazy uh, that uh, that's that we are actually human beings wanting to do human being things. So. Yeah, I mean, like, like from an election standpoint, uh, I uh, you know, in some ways, I look back and go, if the message, if there had been a stronger contrast with the person that I 
I ran against, the primary person I was running against, in some ways that would have been easier, you know? Like, I'm really glad that the person that, you know, ultimately won. Kathy uh, Tovo? Yeah, she, uh, you know, I, like, disagree vehemently with her on some really important policy things. There's also a lot of things that where we are in alignment on. When we talk about sort of equality, she's always been uh, on the right side of those questions. Not that our local city council... Uh, you know, it's not the same fight as at the Capitol. But so I'm, I'm I'm glad that I didn't have to run against anybody who would do say do or say such bigoted things that, you know, Danica Rome was facing. I mean, like she was just running against somebody who literally was attacking her, you know, her humanity. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure it would fire you up, you know. But I'm glad that Austin is not is not that place, you know. Um, so, you know, that also meant that people defaulted back to uh, electing the incumbent, and yeah. uh, you know, we go from there. All right now, as people at home wouldn't know this, but as we were doing this, since we're on a video chat, I saw that you went out and you're now tending to your child who is needing some help. Uh, how, do you have one child? Yeah, right. So who's uh, so I have. Uh, one son, 18-year-old, I say a little dude, medium-sized dude uh, named Peter. So uh, my ex and I, uh, we co-parent him, and he's got cerebral palsy. So uh, he's uh, a little dude in a wheelchair. And, uh, uh, you know, that was uh, when I talk about sort of what, uh, how do I say what's this? important what's important in life right yeah. and like is you know I don't think everybody has to be a parent to be to live a you know a fully a full life but for me being a parent is was changed things in in ways that nothing else uh, had I mean <laughs> I, la I laugh but being trans is easy in many ways compared to being a parent. Uh, Peter for many years is the reason why I didn't transition because I felt like it was it was one of the excuses I gave to mm -hmm. myself when I was sort of working through that really hard puzzle of how do I sort out my shit quite honestly and and I would always come back to when I wasn't ready to I'm like you have to be strong for Peter you know like you need to help keep it together you know Peter needs his father and uh, and when I finally realized that, you know, I can both be trans and be a really good parent and uh, like that Peter was always going to have his father and that she is awesome, uh, it was liberating. That's so wonderful to hear. So what's next for you? Are you going to be going back into politics or are you just going to uh, be an activist and run your business? Uh, what do so, you think uh, is going to happen? I am, what's next? Yes. To <laughs> yes. The, I, to all of yes. I start, when I law, when, when I came up short in the election, I, you know, I had to go back to, I started my own uh, consulting practice. Uh, I had quit my job to run for office. So like after the election night, I was like, hmm, what do I do now? Uh, so I've started my own engineering practice and I'm building that company. And uh, I, you know, I'm not running for anything right now uh, I thought people have lots of ideas all the time they're like you should do this and, uh, and when I sort of reflected last year on what I wanted to do 
what was right. Uh, the right thing for me to do right now is to like focus on you know <laughs> paying my property taxes and uh, and then fighting for our community and helping to get good people elected of uh, you know up and down the ballot. We have a chance in Texas, a really good chance of flipping the Texas House. That would be so, amazing. Yeah. Well, we're we're like nine seats away from a Democratic majority in the Texas House, and uh, I'm an eternal optimist. I think we have a damn good chance of flipping the House next year. So, so I'm involved in lots of things to get good, uh, good Democrats elected. I'm uh, president of our Stonewall Democrats chapter. I'd mentioned uh, on the board of Equality Texas, and uh, just on the board of a couple of other nonprofits of, uh, you know, I, I got lots of opportunities for unpaid work. <laughs> yeah. And I'm finding the same thing. It comes with the territory. Yeah. And maybe I'll, uh, you know, maybe I'll go back to run for something at some point in the future, but it'll have to be the right thing to do in the right time. Uh, if, if city council is, if the issues that face Austin are still really important to me in a couple more years, I might consider a, uh, and then if something else uh, is a better fit, I may consider that too. But uh, I, I do know that like running was an amazing privilege, but it's an awful lot of work and yeah. it's a level of vulnerability that uh, I, hmm, that surprised me. Wow. I think it's probably that, the best way of describing it. Yeah. Right. Well, talk about work that pays or may not pay. So you did a show, uh, what was it, earlier this year, last year was a, Bedpost confessions? Did that pay? Oh yeah. Did that pay? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's right. Since you're not actually going to broadcast this video, I can. <laughs> I don't have to worry about the quality of it. Uh, so, yeah, Bedpost Confessions is a, has been running for my gosh, like almost 20 years in Austin, and it's a three times a year they do uh, evening of performances. Sort of have people do storytelling, poetry. Uh, uh, burlesque it's really it's like smart sexy stories so uh and it's just really well attended it's really an amazing sort of space of uh, not a particularly lgbtq exclusive space but very much uh, a space that is inclusive of kind of everybody of uh, the one of the producers reached out to me about doing uh uh some doing bedpost and uh I, you know i told her i said well i want to yeah, I think about doing it. That might be cool. Uh, but what I really want to do is I want to do it with my ex-wife. Wow. So we did it together. We shared a story kind of. Uh, I've always wanted, I don't think the stories of our partners are told well at all. Oh, we, yep. We're trying to get my ex on here. I don't know if she will, but that would, I, I agree with you. Our partners, our, our partners and exes need to be heard. Yeah. And it's, uh, like the truth is that like I do, like uh, my ex is still my best friend and like we, you know, we uh, co-parent our son. And, but when I like, when I came out, she had to come out too, right? She had to do a lot of soul searching about what it meant for her humanity and her sexuality. And, you know, we had to be real with each other that, I mean, like, I'll be frank, me being trans, and transition is incompatible with our relationship the way it existed, you know? And uh, 
that that's different from like the narrative right now is still very binary. It's like, you know, you have the accepting spouses or the supportive spouses and then not, right? And we we want to sort of lionize the supportive spouses as like the archetype of what's right and demonize the folks that aren't when the truth is it's way more complicated than that. And that's the story we told basically was, you know, my ex was not a quote unquote supportive spouse in the, in the, 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 the simple sense of the word, but she was, you know, real and human and honest. And, uh, and we, you know, kind of navigated our world together sort of with grace and compassion of, uh, we, we wrote the piece together. I mean, I joke that it was uh, <laughs> the best therapy. It's the first time Aww. we've gone to couples therapy in forever. There's nothing like sitting down with your ex, deconstructing your transition and, and then presenting it in front of a thousand people. And yeah, we got paid. So uh, hey! congratulations. I mean, it wasn't, it was a, uh, you know, it might have covered the bar tab. <laughs> hey, that's, that's better not be covering the bar tab though. Right. So. Yeah, right. And I'd say it's about my ex. You know, I I don't know if you've seen much of our backstory, Penny and I, and what we've done here on the podcast or through our social media. But I spent 20 years as a Mormon. So, you know, that was the context that my ex and I came out of when I came out to her. And so, you know, I think and I think this kind of sums up well for, you know, this is what I'm hearing from you. And I say this about my ex is she got to the point of I love you. I accept you, Amy. But like what you just said, it's. I can't be married to you, though. It's just not compatible with who I am from a sexuality standpoint. So, I mean, and that to me is that's just as good of an outcome probably than trying to force something to work. So, I mean, it's that's a yeah. great outcome. It's, it's a good outcome. And for me, it was the second best answer she could have gave me and maybe even the first best with some hindsight now. So it is. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a line from the show last summer that was, you know, we talked about kind of that experience and, and it, it was our 20, you know, yeah, 20th anniversary, basically. It was right in the middle of my transition. I'm like, what do we do? Do we celebrate, you know? And like, so we went for a drink and like, you know, and just had a real tearful conversation. And, you know, and what we realized that like, there's some peace in the clarity of that assessment, right? It's like knowing that, but it's still there's still hurts, you know, there's still a lot of grief and she lost her husband. I mean, I yeah. lost my wife. Right. Yeah, true. For me, it was a little bit different. Uh, my marriage ended, uh, seven years before I transitioned, uh, for a number of reasons. One of which was, um, I was, uh, profoundly unhappy as a man. And I took a lot of my, I took a lot of it out on my, on, on her. Uh, so, but it, it was, that when I divorced, we became we be I, my I always say we we're better. I was a I was a better ex to her than I was a partner, and I'm a better girlfriend to her than I was as an ex. And things have gotten better as we've moved forward, and we've been more honest with each other. So yeah, that's, that's the hard I mean, part is the is believing that the honesty will be better. Right. Yeah, and well, that's a lesson that I think so many families and couples can can learn from that of you know some you just have to accept the truth and 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 work through what that is and uh I'll, this isn't 
way beyond just the trans experience, but in any relationship, yeah. it's like, you know, and, and, and being a little bit removed from it gives us, finally gives us a chance to, to do that, you know, do that assessment of, you know, I, we, we look around and it's like, you know, we're in our late forties and a lot of our people whose wedding we went to, many of those marriages are over. Right. And, you know, we do have these moments where she just looks at me and smiles. She's like, well, at least you're not an unrecognizable asshole, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and can I borrow your sweater? You know, like, I mean, like that's sort of, sort of our beautifully complicated family. Yeah. Well, this is probably a good jumping off point for us. We've spent a wonderful hour with you, Danielle. Yeah, Thank I you. enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And I, I think your insight into what we should look for in two, 2020 with the election and where we're headed with these battles and what we can do personally. I think, I think like you said, the biggest thing we can do is just live our lives visibly and be out there in the public doing what we can do. And I, I know Penny and I, that's one of the big commitments we're making for this new year as we go into the election. Yes. That's right. And tell people that everybody, everybody that be engaged, right? Do something, learn about who's running and support the candidate you support. And, you know, because, you know, our democracy is imperfect, but uh, it's better than all of the other forms yeah. of government. Beats the alternatives. So, yes. That's right. So be part of it. You know? Danielle Skidmore, thank you very much for appearing yeah. on Transformation Thursday. And we'll thank be right back with a wrap up. You're very welcome to be there. Well, good luck to you. Okay, doc. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support Transformation Thursday, you can do so in the following ways. On Facebook, like the Transformation Thursday podcast. To support us financially, you can do so by going to our Patreon page by typing www.transformationthursday.com into your browser of choice. On Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe to Transformation Thursday. And on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and write us a short review. It's free, and it really helps to get Transformation Thursday out to a broader audience. Finally, Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material, all rights reserved, 2019. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her, and we're here to talk to Penny real quick and say, hey, Penny, what did we learn in this last hour with Danielle? Oh, so many things. First off, Danielle is an amazing human being and an amazing parent, uh, And uh, but the thing that really struck me is how uh, important it is to be just visible in the world and do things that are not just transgender related. We were talking about Danica Rome briefly and the fact that she got elected to the Virginia State Senate because she was talking about real things that needed to be happening and not just transgender equality. It's important, but the way we get there is by being accepted and the way we get to be accepted is by being human beings in the world. Yeah, and I think that's what my takeaway plays off of that. With us being human beings out and visible in the world, we can have those one-to-one interactions with people. And I think those are what's going to change people's minds about us being transgender. Lieutenant Colonel Bree Frams essentially said the same thing, you know, when she was on our show a few months ago talking about the transgender military ban. So it's just time to live our lives. And as we go through the rest of 2020, I think with this important election coming up in November, you know, it's time for us to get out, to be to be vocal, to be understand who's running in the races up and down the ballot and get out and vote and tell our friends to get out and vote to make sure that we're well represented 
well represented for the views that we want and how we want to be governed in our society. And it's time now to end the show. Uh, B, please go to our Patreon page if you feel motivated and uh, support or just give us five stars and share the story about Transgender Thursday. Well, happy Transformation 20- Thursday. And share the story about Transformation Thursday. I'm the one that was like made that that named it this, and I'm the one that's falling down on this all the time. It's late. It is late, and I got places to go. Thank you very much. Happy 2020, everybody. Good night, Amy. Good night, everybody, and good night, Penny. Happy New Year. <laughs>